Come like you promised and pour out your spirit. Come on, hear this out. This next part, you love life. where you've never been before and it's just one of those things where you're getting out of your comfort zone and you're saying God I'm going to come up to these altars as a sign saying I want to draw closer to you some of you guys need to lift up your hands and be free in this place to worship the Lord as a sign of surrender Father we surrender it all in this place you said you give us your promised Holy Spirit and we have the confidence and the assurance that you're with us today. It's why we worship you. It's why we worship you. Oh, you're worth it all. Oh, come on, saints, just start singing your own songs. Yes, he's worth it all. You're worth it all, yes, oh, Lord. worth it all. Oh, Jesus. Love makes it worth it.
pour out your spirit. We pour out your spirit. Won't you come? Come like you promised. Pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit. Come on, one more time. Say, won't you come? says in these last days he will pour out his spirit on his sons and daughters and the young men will begin to prophesy they will begin to speak out the will of the Lord they'll begin to speak out the word of God come on we're word of faith speakers in this place I want you guys right now in this time of worship to speak out in faith these things you want to see God do come on Come on, God moves in these times of worship. It's us singing unto the Lord. But at the same time, we're speaking out these things. God, I'm speaking out you're faithful to me. God, I'm speaking out you're faithful in my family. God, I'm speaking that you're faithful in these finances. God, I'm speaking that you are faithful. You will come. Come on, some of you guys can't be spectators in this, but you need to be partakers. You guys got to be into worship. I just encourage you to close your eyes and go deeper. Go deeper today with the Lord. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Oh, oh, we want to dive deep into your presence, God. body of believers and you worship you can't do this any other day out the week it's on this day you come together with the body of believers one faith and one accord and saying God you are great come on get into that today you're with the brothers and sisters in this place all worshiping the same God oh there's no place I would rather be Oh, there's no place I would rather be. There's no place I would rather be than here in your love, here in your love. There's no place I would rather be. There's no place I would rather be. There's no place I would rather be than here in your love. Here in your Sing love, the there's no place I would rather be. Come on, be. lift up your voice. There's no place I would rather be. There's no place I would rather be than here in your love. Come on, here in your love. There's no place I would rather be. There's no place I would rather be. There's no place I would rather be. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. 
I'd rather be There's no place I would rather be Here in your love Here in your love There's no place I would rather be No There's no place I'd rather be There's no place I would rather be Here in your love here in your love, no place I'd rather be. Come on, we're singing that out today. No place I'd rather be. No place I would rather be. Here in your love. Just as the music plays, would you just concentrate on Jesus as I encourage you today? The Bible says that wherever we're gathered together in his name, there he is in the midst of us. And so Jesus, the King of glory, is with us right now with all of his power, with all of his authority. But I just want to ask that we could get the flags of the nations brought up to these altars and that we would start to pray for the nations because as I feel the fire of God coming on us here, it is for a purpose. Jesus said in Acts 1-8, you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the othermost parts of the world now we've got a vision in this church for 500 churches around the world and just this week we were buying the tickets for India and it literally took me about four hours then they had to call me back at three in the morning it was one of the hardest things that I've ever done to buy plane tickets and that is just the beginning the Bible says the devil is a thief. He's a destroyer. He wants to resist us over the nations. But our God, hallelujah, rises up a standard against him. And so I want you just to pray for the nations and pray that the fire will come to you and through you as we begin to sing, put a fire down in my soul. Would you just start to pray for a nation? Maybe the one you've come from. Maybe for Japan. Just somebody cry out for a fire across the nations. Fire. Fuego. We pray fire over Central and South America, over Europe today, over the Middle East and the Muslim nations, over the Iron Curtain, over Russia. We pray it over the East, over China, Singapore, Malaysia, glory, Southeast Asia, hallelujah, Nepal, India, Bangladesh, fire in my soul and I can't control come on let's lift up our voices more of Jesus down in my soul that I can't contain and I can't control one more time set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain and I can't control and I want more of you God and I want more Hallelujah. We're a church that believes in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Would you just begin to speak in tongues and intercede? Oh, 
Hallelujah, we rebuke the devourer over these nations. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Griselda, would you come to Adam's mic and just begin to pray for the nations and rebuke the devourer. We intercede on behalf of those who can't pray for themselves. Hallelujah, dear God, we praise you in this place, dear God, we lift your name on high, dear God, and we declare the nations are yours in the name of Jesus, we declare that every nation that doesn't know you would bow down to you, in Jesus' name, that your truth would go forth, dear God, and they would receive, dear God, with hungry hearts, dear God, being hungry and thirsty for you, in Jesus' name, I rebuke every religious lie, every false religion in the name of Jesus, every lie of the devil over these nations, every curse the enemy has put over them, in Jesus' name, and I just declare that they would have eyes to see, ears to hear, to receive the gospel. I pray for men and women of God to go forth and preach the gospel to these nations, that they would hear the truth and be saved, your God, generations and generations to come in the name of Jesus, to love you and worship you, God Almighty. We praise you, dear God. We thank you that you, Lord, your heart is in the nations, dear God. We thank you that you haven't forgotten them, Lord God, and you have a plan, dear God, a plan for these nations. In Jesus' name, amen. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain and I can't control. And I want more of you. Come on. And I want more. Oh God, set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain and I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you. Josh Perez, would you come and pray for the nations today? God has called you to be a missionary. We affirm that here. We know that God has called you to Japan and to the islands. Would you just pray for those nations even now? Some are suffering like Japan. From that earthquake and from devastation, Indonesia had a tremendous tsunami years ago. Just pray for the nations that they would see Jesus. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. Father, we pray, God. We pray, Father, that you lift the nation, Father, that was devastated, Lord God. By earthquakes, Father God, by natural disasters, Lord. Father God, that are surrounding nations, Lord Jesus, like the Philippines and Thailand and China Jesus. and Korea. Jesus. Even North Korea, God. Japan will be safe, God. Jesus. Jesus. People will see that you're real, God. That people will know, God, that you speak today. You still speak even if it's been yes. 2,000 years, God. There's been no difference. Yeah, God, you are real, God. You move in power. Your Holy Spirit comes, God. God, I pray, Jesus, that people will hear your Jesus. voice, God, that of a shepherd that's calling out to them, Lord God, Jesus. that the wilderness that they live in, Lord Jesus, oh, Jesus, that they will come to you, Father, wherever they are, Jesus. 
that every man, woman, and child, God, will see that you are real, God, that you are reaching out to them, Father, that you're willing to stick your hand into the mud, Father, to bring them out, Lord Jesus, of where they're at, God, that no matter what natural disaster they go through, God, that there is a hope that they can believe in, that there is a Jesus that can give them freedom, freedom from the chains that try to bring them down, God. We pray, God that the towers that the enemy has set up, God, yes. will be brought down in Jesus', in Jesus name, God. Name. That no devil in the world, God, Jesus will see them bound up, God, to the sorrows and to the sicknesses that they are in. Father Jesus, Lord, pray, Father God, that the surrounding nations, Father God, will rise up, God, disciples, Lord Jesus, that will bring a, a new dawn, God, a new dawn, God, where people are willing to live for you, to yes. sacrifice their lives for you, God, to see people in China yes. come to you, God. It's time. Now is the time. To see people in North Korea and South Korea come to you, God. Jesus. It is your love, God, that endures forever, God. Yes. And we know when we come to you, God, you're willing to listen. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Set a fire. And set a fire in my soul that I can contain and I can control. And I want more of you. Come on, band, just sing it out. Come on, we're ask one more person to pray, but let's sing it out with passion. Come on, it's time. It's time that, that the nations awaken with the fire of God. Control. Now is the time. Now is the time. God. Sing it out as a prayer. Use me, God. Set a fire down in my soul. I want to burn for you, Jesus. I want more of you. We want to burn for you. We want to burn for Jesus. That I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. Hallelujah. I want more of you. Hallelujah. Vanessa, would you come from the drums? We know that God has called you to be a missionary to Costa Rica. You and your husband, Chris, are preparing this year to go. We pray that you will go in power, that the church will support every need you have. But will you pray for South, uh, Central and South America and Mexico? Jesus. Lord Jesus, right now, God, I lift up all of Latin America, Lord God. Jesus. Jesus. Lord, all of Latin America, God. Jesus, Lord. God, I pray that the pride of life, Lord God, would fall in the name of Jesus. Lord, the pride of possessions, the pride of material. God, we bind it in the name of Jesus. We pray, Lord God, for salvation to fall, Lord God, on all of Latin America, Lord God, Jesus. Lord, I pray that every person that thinks they're religious, they think they know you, God. I pray that you would make them see Jesus, make them see the truth, God. I pray you'd set them free from that spirit of self-righteousness and religion, God. In the name of Jesus, that false religious spirit, God. I pray that, Lord, you'd open their eyes to see you, Jesus. That they would worship you in spirit and truth, oh God. I pray that you prepare the land now, oh God. Till the land, Lord. Till the land with your Holy Spirit. Lord, cultivate the land, Lord Jesus. Lord God, reign your spirit on the land. Soften the hearts of Hallelujah. men in all of Latin America, oh God. Send the workers, oh God. Jesus. Lord, send us 
Jesus, Lord, in your mighty name. If you believe the nations belong to our God, can you give them a hand clap of praise and a shout of victory? Say it one more time. Set a fire. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain and I can't control. Come on, shout it out today. Come on, shout it out today. Over every one of these nations. Over America, revival, contain, I can't control it, God. Come on, just one more time. Hallelujah. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more. Come on, if you love Jesus, give him a hand clap of praise and a shout of victory. Hallelujah! Come on, slap your neighbor high five and say to the nations. Come on, tell somebody as you're seated. To the nations. To the nations. God is doing a work in this nation. You may be seated in his presence. What you just heard was an old-fashioned prayer meeting. Because Jesus said that my house will be called a house of prayer for the nations. Do you know that Pentecostalism, the church like you're a part of right now, grows eight times faster than the rate of birth around the world? That means every time a baby is born, oh, Dito, eight more people get born again, filled with the Holy Ghost and fire, speaking in other tongues. You all listening to me? You all think we're crazy if you're new to this, but I want to invite you to the revolution that's sweeping the nations right now. I remember when Ishmael took off that flag for Mozambique, ran around the church when we were supporting Iris Ministries with Heidi Baker and just began to run around the church. And now we have over 124 churches in five different nations. Can you say amen? And the reason why I'm so intense this week is because I am telling you, when I went to go buy those tickets for India, I mean, I have never, has anybody taken four hours to buy tickets before? I mean, four hours, and then I had to talk to them at three in the morning. My wife says she has never heard me talk like this. This was the conversation with me at three in the morning. I had the airline agency. I had my bank because we were trying to buy five tickets to these nations, and I guess that brings up red flags like, woo, what are you doing? You know, I don't know what happened, but everything was shut down. I couldn't get money to move. I couldn't get the things to be connecting. So I had the bank on one line. I had the airline on the other line. It's three in the morning. I got my headset, and I'm laying in my bed, and I said, listen to me. For the love of God and all that is good upon this earth, I beg you to help me. I said, I will come and cut your grass. I will babysit your children. All that I ask is that we take the money from the bank and give it to the airline agency. Boop. They said, we will help you. And then for the next 90 minutes, because I was looking at, you know, if you're up at three in the morning, you're looking at it for the next 90 minutes. It took them talking back and forth. But I got something to tell you. We have five tickets to New Delhi, India. Boom, shakalaka, boom. Come on. So I just want to welcome you all to a crazy church that's about it, about it for the Lord. Just look at your neighbor and say, it's about time we were at a real church. Amen. God bless. There's other real church. I'm just teasing. This is our Sunday morning service at 9 a.m. We're not a cult, seriously. 
But if you were to follow a cult leader, it wouldn't be me. Would it be more of Ishmael right here? I'm just kidding. Ishmael, what is going on in these life groups, man? I just want to talk about that. You are a life group leader, man. man. Tell me what's going on, man. Well, they're so awesome. Like We get to not only uh, expound on what Joe talks about, but we also get to be together and have an awesome time of fellowship and friendship. I've been developing so many good relationships with, with this life group, like like the uh, Josh Josh and Noemi over there. And Come on. So we're just having awesome time meeting together, hanging out, you know, and talking about life that's why it's called a life group. how many like life groups in the church amen come on so not only do we have a sunday morning service for you but we got the life groups and then we started this new thing on wednesdays everybody say encounter we started an encounter night not a midweek service we don't want a midweek we gave up on those a long time ago we started this specifically for our families who want to do royal rangers and missionettes boy scout girl scouts for jesus and then those who just want to pray and touch heaven those of you who have been coming can you all just say amen if you're having a good time I mean, we're getting lamb basted, roasted, and toasted in the presence of God, man. And I'm not even doing the preaching. That's how you know it's Jesus is when people raise up. Griselda preached last week, and she did awesome. Let's give it up for Grizzly Bear. Awesome. And then Elevate. Come on, teenagers, every Friday night, man, you all best be coming out because you know it's awesome. It's going on. So all teenagers come out. And during the summer, we got some awesome, awesome things planned for you. And uh, just want you to come on out. Everybody say vision. Thank you. We have a vision to love God and love people. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, I love you and I love God. Now look to your other neighbor and say, neighbor, not so much. I'm kidding, I kid, I kid. We love God and we love people. This church is built upon the two greatest commandments of Jesus Christ. He said, love your neighbor as yourself and love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Come on, do I got any guys make some muscles right here? Amen. Come on. We're going to love God with all of our strength. That's why we're passionate about God. And then we have a strategy. Everybody go, strategy Thank you. We have a strategy to take over the world. It's called Connect, Mentor, Send. Can somebody say connect? Thank you. We want you to connect to the cross to learn about Jesus. By doing that, you meet a mentor. They begin to go through this book with you right here. It's free online at metropraise.org. But if you want one in your hand, pick it up in the back. And this teaches you how to grow as a Christian. And when you are a part of a life group, you get to do this. So how many are in life groups right now? Come on, so keep getting life. Let God bless you. Join this class, and then somebody say mentor. Thank you. When you are getting mentored in this church, we take it seriously. I wrote a book that would take a year to go through so that you could get trained and discipled to know about God. We meet at 730, and we call it the 201 class. Is anybody here in that 201 class? Whoop, whoop. Come on, taking over the world for Jesus. Today we were talking about different religions and the difference between us and them and what makes Christianity significant. It was beautiful, and I want you to be a part of it. And you learn all about prayer, the gifts of the Spirit. How many are happy that the Spirit flows in this church? Can you say amen? I'm not saying like, you know, we're doing the Apostle Paul thing, Peter raising the dead with our shadows yet, but we're certainly not the frozen chosen. Amen? Just touch your neighbor and go, you're on fire. Come on, I want to be on fire for Jesus. And then everybody goes, send. send. 
like Hayunkin. You see, we are sending out into the world to change the world. Once you get connected to the cross, you learn about the cross, you've got to go share the cross. And that's why we have the after-school program Tuesday through Thursdays. We have the Adopt-A-Block on Saturdays to the west side, reaching out into that community there. High school evangelism on the campuses and Saturday evangelism here and Saturday night evangelism in Wicker Park. Look at your neighbor and say, we bowed it, bowed it. Amen. And we have a goal that if we do this consistently, my brothers and sisters, if we give our heart and passion to this, we can see 100,000 disciples in this city with 50 churches and 500 around the world. If y'all believe we can do it, can you say amen? amen? Woo, come on. And this is what we're doing right now after Easter, man. We just saw this place packed out, and we went to two services then, and already you can see we're about 60%, 70% filling up. Before you know, we're going to be filling up these two side sections, and this has only been since Easter. Can you say amen? Man, I am excited. Look at your neighbor and say, I told you he was crazy. Man, I told, man somebody should have told you, Amen. But when they told you that, they also should have told you I'm a J.C. soldier. Amen. Somebody should have told you I'm a J.C. Amen. That's okay. Parents, teach that to your kids. We're going to do it on the count of three. Somebody should have told you I'm a J.C. soldier. You all ready? One, two, three. Somebody should have told you I'm a J.C. soldier. All right. Come on. Can I get a little beat? You know how I get a little beat, girl? Boom. Clap. There you go. Put your hands together. Come on. Uh, somebody should have told ya I'm a JC soldier. Well, somebody should have told ya I'm a JC soldier. Now y'all gonna go. Somebody should have told ya, and y'all go JC soldier. Y'all ready? Somebody should have told ya. Come on, come on, say. Come on, give yourselves a hand clap. Welcome to a church that raps. So, anywho, after Easter, we said we want to get you all to come back and hear something about God. So we did this whole series on God, which we're on right now. And today you're going to learn about Jesus, and it's pretty awesome. And so I just want you to see this video. If you still have uh, some friends that haven't learned about God, I want you to come over and tell them that next week we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. Come on, if somebody already knows who God is, can you say amen? Praise God. So we want you all to come out because next week is going to be on the Holy Spirit. Today is on Jesus. And I got another cool video. You can see we're all into the video things right now. We're going to show you this video because SUM. Do I have any SUM students in here? Amen. A full-time Bible college accredited, spirit-filled, and powerful for the nations is at this church. One of our campuses are here. We have over 20 students here, and I want you to check this out because at the end of the month, we're going to have this guest speaker from the Miami SUM. Check it out right here. Watch this beautiful thing here. Nope. Okay, let's try this again. Here it is. Okay, here it comes. Everybody go, we're waiting. Boom. 
give it up. So here it is, very simply. Here it is, Chino Life. He is an awesome brother at Miami campus with uh, Rich Wilkerson, the cousin of David Wilkerson, who just passed. His cousin has a church down there, and he's going to be coming for our young people to encourage them. But listen, SUM is for everybody, even if you don't like hip-hop. It's still for you, okay? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to meet Friday night. Elevate's going to have a big outreach. We want you to come. He's going to preach on the salvation of the lost. You can see what it looks like to be a radical SUM student. Then Saturday, we're going to go out to the Adopt-A-Block, bring out our speakers love on the community out there give them free food come on somebody say amen you know we love people when we show up in the hood amen we're either the police or we're the crack addict we're one of the two to them amen can you play a little bit in background for me come on they, are you the police no then you want two for five you know what i'm saying we're not that guy either we're christians and then Sunday, I'm going to be talking about the call. And anybody who feels called to ministry, we want to encourage you to join this. Would you all stand up with me, please, as we prepare to give today? Do you all love Jesus? Amen. I know that you do. We are a church that is supported by people like yourself that give tithe and offering. We're a church that believes in a tithe. That's 10% of our total income. I was, I was taught this from a child to give uh, my first tenth unto the Lord, and I've been doing that my whole life, and God has blessed me, and I pray that you start that family tradition as well. Why do we give our tithe? Well, of course, God commands it. But why would God command something like that? Well, the first thing is that God told us not to love money, and he said if you love money, you can't serve him. So when we give that tithe, that 10%, we're breaking the heart of money that would say, I love money, I love money. When you see that paycheck and the first thing that comes to your mind is Jesus, it breaks that, uh, that love of money. The second thing is, is that when we give to Jesus, we see a purpose bigger than ourselves. He said that you're here on this earth to be a vessel for him. So it's not just about my family, it's not just about your family, it's about the families of this world. And when you give to that, there's something bigger that you're helping. Everything we do from the two vans that do transportation to all of the free things that we offer at the church, you're taking ownership to that. As a matter of fact, that after school program has Muslim families that come. And the women are wearing the hijab, they come in the burqa, and we preach to their children for free. Isn't that awesome? And that's because the other programs charge money. But when you give, you support it. That's why it's free. And then lastly, after you've broken that heart that says, I love money, after you see there's a purpose bigger than you, Jesus said, don't sow treasures on this earth. Don't store them up. Store them up in heaven. Because, my friends, we're going to be up there a lot longer than down here. Amen? Believe it or not, I went wakeboarding yesterday in 52-degree weather with a wetsuit. We're pretty crazy, amen? And we were out there on Fox Lake and, you know, Fox River doing all these awesome things. And I was thinking to myself, man, I wish I had a boat. You know, I wish I had these things. And God began to say to me, son, you have more than that than you can imagine already in heaven. Because I've been a giver. Are you listening? I could afford a boat payment if I wasn't a tither. But you see, when I give that to the Lord, God says he'll bless me and he'll bless you. Amen? Now, after that tithe comes the offering. We just ask you to pray about anything you want to give after that tithe. And the Bible says that's good seed and good ground, and it produces a harvest. So a lot of times what I have in my hand, if that 90% does not meet my need, I start, I start to sow it as a seed. And I believe that God blesses. And one of the places that we ask to give offering to is towards these 500 churches around the world. We raised over 12000 for this mission trip we're taking in June for two weeks. But if you're new to the church, just circle offering and missions, and you can still support what we're doing out there. Because I can tell you one thing. We never have enough when we show up there. 
Every time we show up there, they tell us, but pastor, my motorcycle needs to be fixed. But, but pastor, that this village has no Bibles in their language. But, but pastor, uh, these orphans here, they have no food. I am telling you that literally when we go over there, we outdo our budget by 20, 30% every year. So we would ask you to support that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a giving church. God, we thank you for a church that cares about the nations. Lord, that even today we could wave these flags before you. But, Lord, God, we need to be blessed. We need to have things here in this, in this economy. So, Lord, I pray that in America, in our homes, that you begin to bless our jobs and our, and our economy, Lord. Even bless our new mayor and the new Congress, God, that's deciding on things that will affect us. Even as we're looking towards a presidential race, God, we just pray that you will bless our nation again. And, Lord, those who own companies and jobs that, that produce those jobs, protect their business, provide for them, God. And those that are employees, God, I pray that they'll be the best of the best to compete, God, and to earn a, a great wage, Father, because you give them success. And, Lord, we'll be faithful to give it back to you. We learned our lesson from five years ago, God, that greed, God, does not meet the need of our souls. So, Lord, today, God, I ask you to bless Metro Praise, to be a blessing. You said if we give, it would be given back unto us, pressed down and shaken together, Lord. We believe it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's see what Paul talked about when he said an economic status. Here's your advice for this season right here. Let's read on the count of three. One, two, three. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Will you come rejoicing as you give? Thank you and God bless you. Will you open up your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 2, verse 6? Anytime you want to give and you don't have an offering bucket in front of you, you can give to the drop boxes. And also our offering envelopes have prayer requests on them. Anytime you want to just give a prayer request, you can do that without even giving an offering. So thank you for all that you do. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. We are going to talk today in the series, Who is God? Who is the Son? Now I want to see if some of you guys are ahead of where I'm going right now. If you know the Son of God's name, say it on the count of three. One, two, three. Okay, for the rest of you, you're going to learn about Jesus today. Those who already know Jesus, get ready to learn something new. Philippians chapter 2 verse 6 is going to give us a perspective of Christ that not many of us know. Sometimes we think of Christ as somebody who was born on Christmas Day 2,000 years ago. When the Bible says that the Father gave his only begotten Son, that word begotten, homogeneous, does not mean begotten in a birthright sense. It doesn't mean that Jesus was was born that day only begotten homogeneous means one unique of a kind the only one of a kind so when it says that the father gave his only begotten son and he came into the earth 2,000 years ago what it's saying is the father gave the unique son of God God the son to the earth and so when Jesus came to the earth he was not coming into existence but rather he was manifesting himself in the flesh like you going to the moon would need to put on 
on a spacesuit. Jesus coming to the earth put on an earth suit called flesh. But he has existed with the Father from the beginning of time. As long as the Father has been around, Jesus has been with him. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, speaking about Christ. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The word with means pros, alongside of facing him. Pros, with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Are you all tracking with me? Somebody say, Jesus. Now, Paul in Philippians, writing to the believers of Philippi, he has made disciples here. He has preached the gospel to them. He has already been to their church and established it upon leadership. But now that he's gone, he's writing them a letter, and he wants to remind them of good theology, good belief, good doctrine, so they'll keep following Jesus. Following Jesus is not based on fairy tales or mythology. It's not like Thor at the movies or the Avatar. Jesus is a real person. And the teachings about him are based on truth. And so Paul has an insight that the Philippi people need to hear, and so do we. Can you say, read it? I will. Thank you. Verse 6, who being in very nature God. Look at it. Bam. Who is Jesus? Very nature God. Okay, you all getting it. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of come on say it again that at the name of Jesus thank you every knee should bow in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and every tongue confess and say this with me on the count of three one two three every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father this is what we call the kenosis also known as the hypostatic union to you and I it's when Jesus came to earth but write it down slowly if you want to recheck these things. The kenosis, the hypostatic union. What does that mean? That Jesus is God himself. That Jesus is the second person in the God nature known as the Trinity. Though the word Trinity is not found in the Bible, the concept is. The word a Bible is not found in the Bible, but the concept is. Are you listening to me? You are not found in the Bible, your specific person, your social security number, but your concept is uh, human race is spoke about. Are you all tracking with me? What it means to be in a triune relationship is that there is one God in being and in essence. He is of one race, the God kind of race. Remember, we learned about this last week. There is only one God, one being, one substance of God, but that one God is manifested in three distinct persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Modalism teaches a sense that God is one person, and he acts as a father sometimes, he acts as a son other times, and he acts as the Holy Holy Spirit. That is rejected. We do not believe in modalism. Like how I am one person, I am a father and I do fatherly things. I'm a son. I do son things with my dad. And then I'm also a pastor and do pastor things. Are you all tracking with me? That is not what God is like. And then other people have said that God is like water, steam and ice, the three manifestations of water. But that is not true either because the father is separate from the son. The son is separate from the Holy Spirit and they simultaneously exist at one time. 
That is the Trinity. Now the Bible says there's nothing in heaven nor upon earth that you can compare him to. He said, who will you liken me to? So my friends, we cannot compare the Trinity to anything you've seen, not even the three-leaf clover of St. Patrick. All of these things fail in comparison. The one thing that we have to compare the Trinity to is what God himself gave us as an example in Genesis 1-1 when he said, I or we will make man in our image. Let us make them male and female. And it says that from Adam came Eve. And so what we see as a comparison, as there's one race, the human race of people, all equal in race and status, are you tracking with me? But yet there are different people in the human race, a six billion, a lot of them. We see that as the only comparison because we're made in God's image. And so we say it like this, in the God kind of species, in the God race, there's three persons. But the difference between God and us is I'm not you and you're not me. and We don't share the same being of identity. But God being greater and more significant, more powerful than anything we can imagine, he shares the same substance and being with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, yet they're three persons. If you need some help, just say, help me, Jesus. The rest of you say amen. You're learning about the Trinity. Now here you see in verse 6, who being in very nature God, what nature is Jesus Christ? Okay, let's take our time class. Who being in very nature God, what nature is Jesus Christ? Amen. If you want to see his name mentioned, keep on reading. I'm not tricking you. So who being in very nature God, what nature is Jesus Christ? God. But now it says he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. What this means is, is when Jesus came to earth, he did not come like Krishna. He did not come like Hercules. He did not come like Thor or any other person of mythology. When you see people in mythology come to earth as a God man, as a God being upon earth, don't they always use their God powers to their advantage? Uh, you read the stories about Harry Krishna. Uh, Krishna, he used the powers to his own advantage. He did things like floating on air. He did all types of crazy things. And you start to hear the stories, and I know a lot about Hinduism because I go to India, like the story of Ganesh. Ganesh is the man, uh, the god, the deity of Hinduism, who is half elephant. Uh, he has an elephant's head and a person's body. The story real quickly goes like this. He was cheating on a god's wife. So gods, I guess, are married in Hinduism. So he's cheating on a wife. He's a hot dude the god comes home sees the, the the wife and him cheating he gets so mad he cuts off his head and he throws it away the woman pleads with him and says don't kill him don't let him die let him live but you know just spare him and so the man to mock the woman takes off an elephant's head puts it on top and there you go Ganesh look at your neighbor and say that's crazy now, we love Hindu people. We pray for them. We ask that they would find Jesus. But here you see a, a pagan deity using its powers to its own advantage. Here it says, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So when Jesus came to this earth as the God-man, existing before his birth, equal with the Father, in the nature of God, when he stepped into humanity, did he use his God powers to his own advantage? As a matter of fact, when you see him with John the Baptist at the shores of Jordan, what do you see John the Baptist saying? You, you must baptize me. You must baptize me. But Jesus says, no, you've got to baptize me. So when John the Baptist baptized Jesus, he came up out the water. The father said, this is my beloved son and who I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove 
and rested upon Jesus. What did you see? The Trinity, Father speaking, Son being baptized, Holy Spirit coming. Now, why is that significant? Because it says from that point on, Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. He went out and fasted and prayed, come back. And then in Luke chapter 4, he took Isaiah 61 and said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has empowered me to preach the gospel to the poor, to proclaim the year. Are you all listening to me? So where did Jesus get his God powers from? The Holy Spirit, just like we do today. Jesus was not the example of a God-man operating as a superhuman. Jesus was the example of what a man can do when God gets a hold of their life. Now, does that mean we all become Jesus in a form of deity? No, it just says he was in the nature God, but when he came, he did not use his God powers. He lived the life of a human just like us and relied upon God, his Father, just like we do. And that's why when you hear other religions and cults like Jehovah Witnesses who don't believe that the, that the Son of God, Jesus, is equal to the Father, they take the words of Jesus when he was on the earth and said, I can't do anything unless the Father tells me, and I don't know when I'm coming back, only the Father knows. And they take these limitations of Jesus' knowledge on earth, and they say, how would God be able to be God and not know his return? How would God be God and say that he's still serving his Father? How would God be God and die on the cross, etc., etc.? But what they don't understand is that when he came in the flesh he then at that moment did not grasp but let go of his divine privileges so he could be a man because as a man he didn't want to do anything as God he wanted to do it all as man but yet he still was God in his nature so it would be like me being a man, a father, and I play with my daughter, but yet I don't use my full strength. I begin to wrestle and find the power that she's operating in, the, the strength she has, and we begin to wrestle around. How many parents know what I'm talking about? I just don't take my daughter and just go throw her across the room, WWF, break her back on the floor. Are you listening to me? When he came down with us, he let go of his God privileges, still maintaining his God nature, and operated as man. He's actually pretty awesome, y'all. I'm glad we're talking about Jesus in church today and not five steps to your success. Amen. Now look, a seven, it says, rather he made himself nothing. Uh, this word nothing is the Greek word kenosis. Everybody say kenosis. And what it means is he emptied himself of all of those divine privileges. And he made himself nothing but by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. This is where we call the hypostatic union. This is where the eternal son of God, the spirit that he was, God himself, came and then unified himself with flesh. That is a powerful union. And it makes a powerful sound when I do that. Amen. Boom. He unified himself with flesh. And he didn't make himself out to be a mighty warrior like Thor. He made himself out to be a servant. Look at your neighbor and say, Adulas. Adulas in the Greek just means a bondservant. They do whatever their master tells them to do. So Jesus, being in the very nature God, did not use his God ability to his own advantage. But when he came to this earth, he came as a servant. And as a servant, he was obedient. And it says he was even obedient unto death on the cross. 
So did his spirit and soul die on the cross? No, just no more than your spirit and soul dies when your earthly body dies. When your body dies, your spirit and soul live on. So no one killed God that day. It's just that Jesus, as God, came in the flesh and allowed us to kill his flesh and to crucify him. Why? Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We needed a Savior. We needed a perfect, spotless sacrifice to cover all of our sins. And no prophet was good enough. No animal was good enough. So Jesus said, Father, can I do it? And the Father sent him, and he became the sacrifice for us, the propitiation, substitutionary atonement for you and I. Look at your neighbors and say, I've been redeemed. The word redeemed means bought back with a price. The wrath of God was upon you and I. The Father's wrath was upon us because of our own sin and going the way of the devil. And that's why the Bible says the lake of fire is prepared for the devil and his angels. And when we were tempted in the Garden of Eden, we went the same path of the devil. But Jesus, hallelujah, bought us back, was the sacrifice, and gave the pleasing sacrifice to the Father. And he now stands on our behalf. That's why the Bible says in Romans, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, I was born once a sinner, but I've been born again a saint. Come on, look at your other neighbor and say, I know I've been changed. Woo! Don't you know you've been changed, somebody? Do you know that you're saved? Are you saved and sanctified? How about filled with the Holy Ghost and fire? It's because of what Jesus did. Now, why am I saying all of this? I am saying this because when we study about Jesus Christ, and we're going to go deep here in just a moment with Lee Strobel, because I want your mind to gather information, but first I want your spirit to get full. Why am I telling you this? It's because when people look back in 2,000 years of history, they're not going to see a flying, floating man bringing down fire from heaven. You're going to see a basically uh, nameless, faceless person that was unpopular into the major part of the Roman Empire that was easily to be swept under the rug because people didn't care much about him because he didn't come as a conquering king. And so now 2,000 years later, some people just want to say maybe he didn't even exist. Or maybe he was just a myth that we told stories about like Mithra, a popular myth of that day. But I want you to see that the reason why Jesus did not come as a conquering king, he did not come performing all of his God duties, which he does in the book of Revelation, which he will come back as. He does not come back again as Dito in a manger, but as a conqueror on a white horse to the battle of Armageddon. Amen. So all y'all excited say, I want to see Hercules, Hercules. He coming, but I don't know if you're ready for the way he's coming. Amen. Some of y'all want it. Well, I just want to meet Jesus. No, you don't. Not right now. I just want to see him. No, no, not right now. Not the way you're living right now because he will destroy you in his wrath. He's looking for those by faith who confess his name, who confess and bow their knee. He's looking to save them. Bible says in Romans 10, 10, it is with your heart you believe and with your mouth you confess. And whoever believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth, Jesus is Lord. They shall be saved. He wants to save you before he meets you because if he met you right now in all of his glory and splendor, it wouldn't go well for you. Now, sometimes people do get visions and, and things of Christ before they're born again like Paul, but he was blind for three days. They are power encounters. A lot of the Muslims see Jesus this way as a, a loving God but also a powerful 
And so today, my friends, we don't want him to manifest into the flesh in that white horse yet. We want to know him as our Savior before he comes as our judge. And so when you're looking back on history and people are talking to you about Jesus and they want to compare Jesus to Buddha and Jesus to these other characters, he stands in a, a, a category all by himself. Number one, he stands in a category, and I don't want to take Lee Strobel's words, but just from my heart, the reason why I love studying Jesus is because he claimed to be God, which not many of them did, hardly any of them, only but Krishna, but yet as claiming to be God, his sign that his proof he was God wasn't destroying, creating, floating from the sky. It was dying on the cross, raising from the dead. That is what makes Christ so significant. Now you and I have grown up in a society already knowing Christ-centric ideas. And so you'll see the golden child with Eddie Murphy. You'll watch, uh, you know, Luke Skywalker, you know, Luke, I'm your father. And, and we'll see all of these relationships with a savior, a, a type of a person who's born and changes the scope of things. But that wasn't around until the time of Christ. Because until that time, it was always the gods are against us, and we have to do everything to get those gods to like us. But with Christ, it changed because this God became one of us. He walked like us and did not sin like us, but died for us. Amen? So I want you to get out your thinking caps. Lee Strobel was the uh, legal editor for the Times, excuse me, the Chicago Tribune for over 10 years, lived in Chicago, was an atheist, hated God, but became converted to Christianity when his wife got saved and said, come with me to church. He said to the pastor, Bill Hybels, in, out there in Willow Creek, he said, pastor, I'm going to come back next week and disprove your religion. He thought as a lawyer he could take a week of study, look at the Bible, the documents, and disprove it. But it took two years for him to complete his study. That's how in-depth it was. And at the end of those two years, he became a born again believer for Jesus Christ. Amen. And he wrote the book, The Case for Christ, if you want to get it. But right now he's going to give you some awesome reasons to look at Jesus as the unique son of God. Okay. One more time. Okay, I can do this. Oh, thank you, Lord. Awkward. Finally, his fourth credential, and this is, I say this for last because this is the most convincing one of all. The ultimate authentication of his claim to being the Son of God is that he was resurrected from the dead. Now, I started as a real skeptic about the resurrection of Jesus. I've been a newspaper reporter. I've seen dead bodies. I've never seen a dead body come back to life. But according to these ancient records, Jesus did it three days after he was put to death. So as I began to investigate, and I talk about this evidence much more in detail in my book, The Case for Christ. But I became convinced that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the best attested event of the ancient world. Let me just give you a few bits of evidence to back that up. First, the empty tomb of Jesus. Did you know that everybody in the ancient world agreed that the tomb of Jesus was empty on that first Easter morning? Everybody had conceded it was empty. The question became, well, how did it get empty? The religious authorities concocted the absurd story that the disciples had stolen the body, even though they lacked motive and they lacked opportunity. Besides which, why would the, why would the disciples want to steal the body just so they could be tortured to death for a lie? doesn't make sense. Now, by the way, when we talk about the empty tomb, one of the most fascinating bits of corroboration of that is the fact that the um, gospel writers report that it was women who discovered the tomb empty. 
Why is that significant? It's important because in the first century Jewish culture, the testimony of women was not considered reliable. They could not even testify in a court of law. And so if the writers of the gospel were going to try to, if they felt the freedom to make things up and just generate whatever, just, you know, make it up as they go, they would never have said that women discovered the tomb empty because that hurts their case in the first century that audience are trying to convince it's an actual historical event. They would have said Peter discovered the tomb empty, John discovered the tomb empty, some man discovered the tomb empty. Why would they hurt their own case by saying that it was women that discovered the tomb empty? The only explanation I could come up with was, that's what happened. And they just were merely reporting the truth and letting the chips fall where they may, even though it was very inconvenient for them. The second strand of evidence for the resurrection is the 515 eyewitnesses who personally encountered the resurrected Jesus. I've interviewed eminent psychologists who, who told me convincingly that this could not have been the product of hallucinations. Among the eyewitnesses were skeptics like Saul of Tarsus, who was a persecutor of Christians, and James, the half-brother of Jesus, who wasn't a follower of Jesus during his lifetime. Both were radically transformed when they encountered the resurrected Jesus. Saul turned into the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary of all time, and James converted and becoming a leader in the early church. Both of them and the disciples were willing to die declaring that Jesus Christ really is the unique Son of God who proved it by returning from the dead. Now you might say, well, people have died for religious beliefs all through history. Now this is different. This is very different. This isn't like some terrorist who kills himself with a suicide bomber or flying an airplane into a building because he sincerely believes if he dies that way, he'll go to paradise to be with his God. He can th that terrorist can only believe that is true. But you know what? He doesn't know for a fact that it's true. He can only believe it. In contrast, the disciples in all of history were in a unique position to know for a fact that Jesus returned from the dead. They didn't just believe it. They knew it was true. They touched him. They ate with him. They talked with him. They encountered him. They knew the truth. And knowing the truth of the resurrection, they were willing to die for it. Do you see the difference? The terrorist can't know the truth. He can only believe it and hope it's true. And yeah, he's willing to die. In contrast, the disciples knew the truth. And knowing the truth, were willing to die. And friends, nobody knowingly and willingly dies for a lie. Third strand of evidence is the early nature of these resurrection accounts. I mentioned earlier this creed of the early church that's preserved in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and following, that affirms the resurrection, lists the names of specific eyewitnesses, including skeptics, and it's been dated back as early as 24 months after the event. And the beliefs that make up that creed go right back to the cross itself. It would be unprecedented anywhere in the history of the world for legend to grow up that quickly and wipe out a solid core of historical truth. But the conclusion of my investigation, I found myself forced to agree with a guy who was sort of my hero when I went to law school. His name was Sir Lionel Lucku. Sir Lionel Lucku, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, was the most successful lawyer who ever lived. And this guy, as a defense attorney, won over 400 murder trials in a row. 
either before a jury or on appeal. He was unbelievable. He was a, he was a real life Perry Mason. Brilliant legal intellect. And he was a skeptic about the resurrection. Until someone challenged him to take his monumental legal skill and apply it to the historical record for the resurrection of Jesus and come to a conclusion. He spent years doing that, and I will sum up for you one sentence that concludes his investigation. He said, quote, I say unequivocally that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof, which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. This from the greatest lawyer who ever lived. Amen. Come on, let's give it up for Lee. Breaking it down. Sorry for the kung fu action there at the end. I don't know what happened to the video, but I want to give you now seven things that what Jesus did by raising from the dead will affect your life today. I just don't want you to have head knowledge. I want you to experience Jesus in a living way. Amen? The first thing that by Jesus raising from the dead, being the unique son of God, what he saves you from is sin. You see, Jesus is a savior, and the first thing he wants to save you from is sin. Ephesians 1.7 says that we are forgiven, redeemed by the blood he shed. I don't know if you're like me, but from time to time I get dirty in my clothes, and I kind of have these work clothes, like these work shorts, these work shirts and shoes that I don't mind getting dirty. Does anybody have those type of clothes? Maybe you keep some in the garage. It's okay if you get them dirty. Could you imagine now trying to get those clothes clean? It would be almost impossible. And that's the way we look at our hearts, is that we've sinned so many times. And I know some of you like to judge yourselves with each other, and you try to convince yourself, well, Joe, I'm not that bad of a sinner. But how many times have you lied? How many times have you had a thought of greed? How many times have you done things in your life out of selfish ambition? How many times did you covet what somebody else had? I guarantee you, if you look at your heart, your heart becomes like those dirty clothes, stained over and over and over again. And how do you get that dirty heart clean? Many of you have tried religion, even confession, going to priests. You have tried to do good work, saying some prayers on beads, and you still knew that at the end of the day you were just as prone to go out and sin again. Yet there is a fountain I know that washes as white as snow, nothing but the blood of Jesus. No other fount that I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. My friends, if you call upon Jesus' name today, not only will it be a fact of forgiveness, but if you do it by faith, you will experience forgiveness. You will know that you know on the inside that it's different from all those other New Year's resolutions, that there is a true cleansing on the inside of you. When I first got saved as an 18-year-old man, I could not stop crying for three days because of how pure and clean my heart was and how grateful I was to a savior named Jesus who saved a wretch like me amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me my friends you are a wretch without Christ but guess what you can be saved 
In a society today that we don't want to talk bad, we want everything to be PMA from Oprah Winfrey and positive thought and find the God within. I want to tell you, the only thing you'll find within is your sin and shortcomings. You need Jesus Christ to forgive you and know that you know on the inside that your sins have been forgiven. David said in a psalm, how blessed is the man who God does not hold his sins against him. That takes his sin and puts it as far from his life as the east is from the west. The Bible said again, David in Psalms 51, cleanse me, O God, and create a new heart within me. How many need a new heart? If you're still not born again today, by the end of the service, you can't. The second thing that Jesus sets us free from is our sorrows. Isaiah 53, 4 says that Jesus carried our sorrows. Have you ever gone through something and you wanted to share the pain with others and maybe it was the loss of a loved one or or something that maybe you guys shared together but still they couldn't share the pain? Have you been abused as a child or gone through something in life and you even tried to go back to your siblings, your parents, and even though maybe they could relate to what you went through, they couldn't carry the pain? The Bible says in Isaiah that he carried your pain. When Jesus was on the cross, he knew the pain of every person's life. He is the only one that when you call out to him and you say, God, nobody understands this pain. It hurts so bad. He is the only one that can say back to you, I know how you feel. And then you'll hear the words that's found in Matthew. He will speak these words to you. He will say, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my load is light, and you shall find rest for your soul. Jesus is the only one that can carry your sorrows in life. He is a Savior from the inner heartbreak and pain of this world. When you feel that someone has taken your life like a glass vase and thrown it on the floor of life and shattered you into a million pieces and nothing you do puts it back together. Not money, drugs, relationships, not education, not promotion. When you're laying there in a million pieces, there is one person who can not only put you back together again, but make you whole and new. For if any man is the new creation or in Christ, old things have passed away. Everything has become new in that person is Jesus Christ. He will save you from your sorrows. Sickness. The Bible says that because of Adam and Eve's sin, there is the curse of sickness. The reason why I wear glasses, the reason why I have to take Advil after wakeboarding because my muscles are wearing down and and the obesity is getting to me. Hallelujah. Help me, Jesus. Sickness is upon this earth. Cancer, diabetes, the things that that we just shudder to think about. Could you imagine losing your mind, amnesia, and dementia? The hardest thing that I ever went through was visiting my grandma in a hospital as she lost her mind, walked in a circle with her head down. Her dentures were out of her mouth. Her gums were showing, and there were stains on her dress from her not being able to even slurp her food out of a straw. And then my mother said, 
said, she said, Mama, come sit next to us. Joe is here to be with you. And my grandma sat next to me just shaking like this. And she looked at me. And my mom said, do you know who this is? And I grabbed my, my, my grandma's hand. I said, do you remember me, Grandma? Do you know me? And she just looked and she just shook her head. And then when I began to touch her, she screamed, my friends, I want to tell you something. There is only one person who can rescue us from a death on this earth, from sickness and dementia. There is only one person. His name is Jesus. And he said, I go to prepare a place for you, for where you are, where I am, you will be with me. The Bible says there is a resurrection one day when bodies become whole to never be destroyed again. And I also believe as a good spirit-filled pastor that upon this earth we can ask Jesus for healing and we can believe that he still heals, raises the dead, open up blinded eyes, and sets at liberty those that are bruised. I believe in a Jesus that still heals. Call on Dr. Jesus. Take your medicine. Read your Bible. Amen. Jesus saves from sin, sorrows, and sicknesses. He also saves us from the wrath of the Father. Turn there quickly with me to Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Remember we were talking about that we were under the wrath of God. Look at it. The wrath of God was against every one of us, and yet Jesus saved us. You think that we're just... Uh, you know, here today fighting the devil. Some of you don't understand that the very thing you may be fighting is God. The Bible says God resists the proud. If you're a proud man at heart, the Bible says the wrath of God may be against you even now. If you're not repenting and humbling, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that it's being revealed against you now. I pray that you come to Jesus that the wrath of God would stop in your life. Amen. I don't know about you, but I want Jesus. Look at verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood. What does the word justified mean? Just if I'd never sinned. Justified. Just if I'd never sinned. I've been justified by his blood. Because his blood is upon me, it's as if I never sinned. But keep going. But how much more shall we be saved from God's coming wrath through him? Do you know today if you have not been bought with the blood of Jesus, if you have not been justified, one day your sins will be brought against you on judgment day? And you will cry out to God. You'll say, but I went to church, but I did all of these good works. And he will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. You can only be set free by the blood of Jesus. And when you are, the wrath of God is subsided. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Did you ever wonder that? Some people ask that all the time. Why didn't Jesus just say, I forgive you? For example, if you owe me a debt and I don't want you to have to pay it, I can just say, hey, don't pay it. You're fine. I don't need to bend you over my couch and whip you a whole bunch of times and say, now the debt has been paid. You may go your way. How many are happy we don't do that? How many are happy we don't have debtor's jails anymore like they did in the Puritan America? Okay, some of y'all tracking with me here. But why did Jesus have to be beat and murdered? Why couldn't God just say, I forgive you? It's over. Okay, it's done. You, you sinned. You, asked, you said you were sorry. It's over. Do you know why? Because in heaven's courtroom, sin must be atoned for for God to be righteous. If a murderer went before a judge... And the judge said, are you sorry that you murdered your children, raped these other people's children? Are you sorry? And if the man said, yes, judge, I'm sorry. And he just said, okay, it's all good. 
how many of us now would have a problem with the judge? We would say that judge is unjust. The Bible says that God is all good. That means God who gives free will creatures the ability to choose also has to be a good God that gives us consequences for the wrong choices we make. Thus, all of our sins combined mean the wrath of God against us. And on judgment day, the Bible says the books would be open and every one of your deeds, thoughts, and deeds would be brought against you. But Jesus, come on, somebody say, but Jesus. Bible says, but Jesus justified us and bought us with his blood. Number five, Jesus saves us from a life without meaning. First Peter 1, 2, 4 says that Jesus gives us a destiny. I want you to understand right now what your life is without Jesus. If you're thinking right now to yourself, well, Jesus is cool, but I don't need to live for him every day. And maybe you look at Jesus like the GPS on your car, like, eh, you know, you're buying a new car. And you're like, you want the GPS with that? And you're like, eh, maybe, maybe not. If you're looking at Jesus like the upgrade of your life, you've you got it all wrong. Listen to me. Without Jesus, your body is but dust. It will evaporate in about 80 years. You're going to be in the ground. You will then stand before a God who has existed for all of eternity, who has created this universe and the galaxies that you know by one spoken word, who cast out Satan like lightning in a moment. You'll be standing before him, and as you hit your knees and proclaim him Lord and come back up, the last thing you will see is an eternity of heaven as you're sentenced to a lake of fire in hell. Are you tracking with me? And as you are in hell, follow me here. The rich man, the Bible says, went to hell. When you are in hell, your job will be meaningless to you. What you did for your, why well, provide for my family, Pastor? I, that will be meaningless to you. You will be in a bottomless pit, always falling, pitch blackness. You will be in a fire that always consumes you. Worms will come in and out of you. The pain will be so bad you'll gnash your teeth and you will cry out because your memory is hindsight and say, Help! And no one will hear you. Some people say hell will be a party. Hell will be nothing of a party. If you don't believe me, I want you to take a test. I'll give you an example to try at home. Go get your college diploma. I just finished my last class of my master's degree, by the way. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Go get, go get your diploma. Go get your job. Put as much money as you can hold in your hand. Then hold on your other hand to your little girl, your wife. I don't care who you Hold on to your whole family with that hand. And then take this one and put it on a stove. And you tell me what this does for you now when you're putting your hand there. My friends, your family won't save you. Your friends won't save you. Your job won't save you. Nothing will save you. Now let's back it up. <laughs> Rewind. Now you're here. Your life has no meaning without Jesus Christ. Do you get it now? Because it's all going to be over one day. Well, I believe in evolution. Even better of an example, you will de-evolve into a bunch of dust. A dog will urinate on you at the funeral place. And then in 10 billion years from now, we will implode this universe, explode again, and everything you did will be forgotten. I don't care how you look at it. Without Jesus Christ, life is meaningless. But Jesus saves from a meaningless life and gives you a destiny and a hope. Praise God. I got a hope beyond the scope of this human limitation. Amen? The sixth thing that God saves you from is yourself. 
Your biggest problem is not with terrorists in another part of the world. Your biggest enemy wasn't Osama bin Laden. Your biggest problem is yourself. It's right when you look in the mirror. It's the decisions that you make or you fail to make. And it's the things that you do for yourself and the things you don't do for yourself that God will hold you accountable. And he says, even if you yourself gain the whole world, it's still not worth your soul. So this is what he said. Whoever wants life must lose their life for my sake. Whoever will come and follow me, they must deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me. Jesus will save you from yourself. I wish I had time to preach about that. Somebody's thinking, well, I don't need no saving. You're the worst kind of person that needs to be saved, Mr. Big Britches. Sister Sassy, listen to me. You need it even more than anybody else. And then lastly, would you stand to your feet with me? First John chapter 3, verse 8. Ban, would you come, please? The last thing that he saves us from is the works of Satan. Yes, there is a devil. He is not uh, with horns and a pitchfork. The Bible says he was a mighty angel in heaven and he was cast out because of his rebellion and pride. And because he brought sin, he is the author of this destruction and pain you see upon the earth. Verse 8 of chapter 3, verse 8 of 1 John, he says, He who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The Son of Man, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Come on, somebody. Why did Jesus come? To destroy the devil's work. Let's say it like we're up this morning excited. One, two, three. Why did Jesus come? Let's say it like we mean it. One, two, three. Why did Jesus come? To destroy the devil's work. Give me a bum bum. Come on. There is a devil upon this earth, and the wickedness that you see comes back to him. I always tell the example of the story of when we were growing up as kids to get you to understand how the devil is. Well, I don't know about you, but, you know, when we were in line to get something to drink, you know, at the drinking fountain, we always used to kind of tap somebody and they kind of pretend it wasn't us. You know what I'm talking about. Slap somebody upside the head, pretend it wasn't you. You know, come on, maybe you were the one getting slapped upside the head. But I was doing the slapping too. Okay, watch. You know what the devil does? The devil comes and destroys your life. He slaps you upside your head, brings destruction, rape, murder, abuse as a child, job loss, sickness. These things go back to what the devil brought in the beginning. He slaps us, then he steps out the way and says, God did it. He said, oh, he said, God did it because God should have stopped it. God should have been there when you were a kid getting hurt. God should have stopped that earthquake. God, God, no, listen, God gave us a choice. And we chose the devil in that garden. And we knew not our consequences. But you know who did? Jesus did. And the Bible says before we were ever created, before the foundations of the world, he was the lamb slain. He knew we would make those choices, but yet he's a good God and allowed us to have freedom. Because good God does not make robots and call that his people. He's not making pets, y'all. We're not God's pets. And so when the devil does this work upon this earth, drugs, alcohol, destruction, divorce, abuse, every single one of us have had the devil work on our life. And some of you might be honest and say, man, the devil's been working on me overtime. It's like he's coming here every day. But you know what Jesus said? He came to destroy 
the works of the devil. If you're on drugs today, it's not 12 steps. It's one step to Jesus. If you're having a troubled marriage today, it's not going to eight hours of counseling. It's coming to this altar and receiving Jesus. Young people, if you feel like giving up and turning to the streets, you don't need me to rap for you. You need to come up and get Jesus. He's a good God. And he's our Savior. And I could talk about him all day. How many are glad you're hearing about Jesus today? But the big question is, do you know him? I could talk about Michael Jordan, and some of us are fanatics about different things. I could talk about Parks Bonifay and how he's the founder of wakeboarding as it is today. Tony Hawk, Christian Hesoy of skateboarding. You could talk about some of your founders, Mickey Mantle and, you know, Pete Rose. And you could go on about your favorite basketball player, Michael Jordan. But does it mean you know him? No. And we could have just came to this service and heard about God, but never meet him. Today you can meet Jesus. This is how Jesus said that we could meet him. He told his disciples before he went back to heaven so that the gospel could be preached. This is what he said. He said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I will be with you to the end of the age. It starts right now. He says, anyone that comes to him, he will not turn away. You can have Jesus in your life today. The story that I want to give you that relates to what I think Jesus did for us goes back into the days of America's slave history and when we did this despicable crime to the people of color. I lived in New Orleans, and even the time that I was there eight years ago, you could still feel the effects of segregation. I've been to Montgomery, Alabama, where Rosa Parks stood her ground on a bus. And you could still see it even today. My professors in Bible college who were African American remember going in the south to a separate window to be fed a separate drinking fountain. Well, this horrible, horrible affliction of pain to a a people went all the way back to the early 14, 1500s. The, The African nation was pillaged and ransacked and Even amongst themselves, the warring tribes would send their other tribes into slavery thinking that it would be better. And one time in New Orleans, in the early founding of that city as it was bought from the French, there were some African women that were slaves and they were brought before the buyers, the white plantation owners, which I've been on plantations and I've seen the conditions that they had to live in. Unbelievable And there were these beautiful women standing as animals to be bought and sold. And as the auctioneer began to go through the line, he would hold up their arms, he would expose their private parts, he would touch them pervertedly, and he would sell them off like cattle. And he got to this one young lady who just had dignity that she would not give up. She spit on the man, the auctioneer. She tried to slap him. They had to hold her down. And then the people in the audience said, well, I I want that one. I want to break that one in. I want to teach her never to do that. And the bidding began to, to happen. And there was a man that was walking by, and he just saw the ruckus about these men fighting. No, I want, no, I want a, a thousand, you know, 50. And the money just kept going higher and higher and higher. And this man was walking by, and he just saw it keep going and going. Then he just said a bid 
that would have been just triple what normally would have gone for in that time, just to shut the whole thing down. You know, 10,000. Everybody looked at him. Man, who are you? 10,000. Man, I want to beat her in and break her down, but saying we're 10,000. The man walked over, and she just got the biggest loogie, just a big, and spit it right in his face. And he just wiped it off, and he just took her, paid for her, and then he went to the other man, and he said, how do I set her free? And they said, you have to go over here, but she's not worth it. He said, no, how do I set her free? They said, you go right over here. He went over there, and he signed her papers, and he said, I bought you to set you free. I bought you to set you free. The woman began to cry, and she said, thank you. My friends, look at your life and my life. Have we not spit back in the face of Jesus? Have we not blamed him for things that we really should have been thanking him for? You know, sometimes we go through tests and we blame him. When God's trying to teach us something, if God wouldn't have stopped America on its highway to hell with greed, my friends, I knew people who owned a house, a boat, and a travel mobile home, and had a place in, the, in, in Florida. We were cursing God for our economic calamity, but you know what? There's more people in church than now there was before. We spit in his face. And we spit when our, 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 you know, people leave our life and people die. And we say, how could you, God? And he's standing right there going, I'm setting you free. I've prepared a place for you. Your family member is with me. And we're spitting in his face. And he asks us to keep these commands. And he says, don't murder and don't be angry with one another. And don't lie and don't steal and don't covet and don't take my name in vain. And yet when we get angry, we don't curse out Buddha. We don't say, oh, Buddha. We don't say, oh, Krishna. We say the name of Jesus. And we curse the one who's buying us to set us free. I just want to know, is there anybody today that wants to say thank you to him? Is there anybody today that wants to say thank you to Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we all know, God, that we're nothing without you. Altar workers, would you come please quickly? But God, you died on the cross to buy us, to set us free. And today, God, we need your freedom. There is freedom in the name of Jesus. Freedom from sins. And freedom from many things, sorrows, and life without meaning. Oh, God, we need you. With every head bowed and eyes closed, I want to start by praying for those today. If you need to be saved from your sins, that's the most important thing he wants to do. That you would confess him as your Lord. Confess your sins. Turn from your wicked way so he can set you free. I'm going to pray for you right now. Those that are either in a backslidden state, you need to come back to Jesus, or you're not really where you should be with Jesus, or you've never known him. We're going to pray. Father, I pray right now for those that don't know you or for those who have walked away from you. God, I pray that they will come to you, receive forgiveness, redemption in the name of Jesus. If that's you right now where you're standing, if you need forgiveness, 
Would you just begin to raise your hand to Jesus right now and begin to ask him to forgive you right where you are. You don't have to come forward. Just right where you are, begin to say, Jesus, forgive me. If you're a backslider, say, Jesus, forgive me. Even if you're a Christian and you're struggling with the sin, Jesus, forgive me. Come on, right now, right wherever you are, Jesus, Jesus, forgiveness. Set us free from the junk of our lives. We know we've fallen short. Come on, right where you are right now. Right where you are right now, Jesus. Repentance is the greatest thing for a sinner to do. Why? Because that's what brings forgiveness. It's good news to a sinner. You can be forgiven. Come on, some of you aren't praying like you should. I'm going to give you a few more moments. If I said all you have to do is call American Express and say, I'm sorry for spending all that money I didn't have, you could be forgiven. Wouldn't you do it? Come on, go through every bad purchase you made with God and ask Him to forgive you. He will do it. He's a good God. Don't be in pride. Don't deny your, don't deny your sin, but deny yourself. Redemption. Being bought at a price. It's the blood of Jesus. And now I'm going to pray for those that would have any of those other six things in their lives. If you today are struggling with sorrows, if you're struggling today with the sickness of this world, if you're dealing with the, the pain and the pressure of, of neglect and heartache, today if you're feeling that your life is without meaning, if today you know that Yourself is your worst enemy or that Satan is against you. I'm going to pray for you right now. Come on, if you need prayer, just raise your hand. If that's you, any of those six things, just begin to raise them up right now. Your hands and just admit, I need prayer. I need Jesus. I need healing of a broken heart. I need right now myself to change. It's me. It's me. It's me. I need to change. See, you need Satan to stop working on you. Come on, raise your hands. God, I pray for these right now that need you, Jesus. You said that you would come if we call on your name. We're calling on the name of Jesus to heal of broken hearts, to heal sick bodies, to set us free from a life without meaning, to change us from the inside, and to break the work of Satan. Satan, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Loose the people of God. Every addiction, every bondage, I break it in Jesus' name. Now, if you have received prayer for any of those seven things, for sin, sorrow, sickness, the Father's wrath, life without meaning, yourself, or the devil's work, when I count to three, the band's going to sing. I want you to come and tell these prayer workers what it is so we can pray with you today and you can stand in your freedom. One, because Jesus loves you. Two, your life will never be the same again. Three, would you come now? Come quickly. Come quickly. No matter who you are, come. Whatever you're dealing with today. Jesus, don't leave out here without us praying for you. We'll dismiss in just a moment. But just come. Please come. We bid you to come. Jesus loves you.
are the treasure that I see. You are my all and Seeking you as a Jesus, I pray for those who are coming. God bless them, change them. Oh, God, let them know that they know they met with you today, God. That you're the Jesus who saves. Yahweh who saves. Yeshua, our Savior. If you're still contemplating, come. If you're next to somebody that may be shy or embarrassed, say, I'll come with you. Just grab their hand and bring them quickly. Come quickly today, friends. Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life. But you have to come to him. You have to come. Proclaim him the Lord of your life and over every situation. Taking my sin, my cross, my shame, rising again, I bless your name. You are my all and all. And when I fall down, you pick me up. When I Come on, Christians, down, keep praying for those that need freedom. You if you're saying you're good in these areas, would you pray? Just begin to seek God because we're going to have 30 more seconds here for those to come. We don't want them to leave without receiving that touch of God today. Oh, God, do it, Lord. You're so worthy. There's no one like you. You came for us. You didn't use your God powers to your advantage, but you became a man like us to die as a humble servant so we might be saved. Oh, God, let everyone experience it today. Fifteen more seconds before we dismiss. Come quickly. God is in this place. Freedom! Freedom! Those already receiving prayer, there is freedom for you. Jesus bought you to set you free. He bought you with the highest price, His own blood. He gave His own life for you. We're going to dismiss in prayer, but the worship and prayer will continue if you want to receive it up here or you can fellowship out at the cafe area. Father, we thank you that today you are here. We talked about you and God, you are in this place. You said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. We love lifting you up, Jesus. Help us this week on our jobs, in our homes, with our community to lift up the name of Jesus above everything that we face in your name in Jesus name and everybody said amen can you say Jesus praise him if you need prayer for anything come on up otherwise God bless you fellowship today have a wonderful day we're going to keep praying and worshiping though as you do taking my sin my cross my shame rising again I bless your name you are my all and all. And when I fall down, you pick me up. When I am dry, you fill my cup. 